Okay, the class is a memory of Haskell Ben Sh Shmuel. And um, we're coming up to Purim, we're going to learn about the Megillah. We'll start with the story of the Megillah. Even all of you know it, but just it's a good, a good review. You learned it already in Hebrew school. What's in Hebrew school? was already a few years since Hebrew school. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, the form story in short. Megillah Esther tells the story of the attempted genocide of the Jewish people in the days of King Ahasuerus, who reigned over the Persian Empire in the 5th century BCE. King Ahasuerus held a banquet in the capital city of Shushan and ordered his queen Vashti to come and dance before his guests. She refused to appear and lost her royal position. Acting on advice from his counselors, Ahasuerus had women from all over the kingdom brought to him so he could choose a new queen. Esther, a young Jewish woman from Shushan, was chosen. However, following the advice of her cousin, Mordechai, who raised her after her parents died, Esther did not reveal her Jewish origins to the king. Mordechai often sat near the gate of the king's palace. One day he overheard two men, Bigtan and Teresh, plotting to kill the king. Mordechai reported what he had heard to Esther. She then reported the information to the king. The matter was investigated and found to be true, and Bigtan and Teresh were put to death. Mordecai's deed was recorded in the King's Chronicles. Beautiful. Okay, then now we know the beginning of the Megillah. It was Vashti, then it was Esther, then Mordecai saved the king by, t by discovering the plot. Continue. Meanwhile, the king's evil advisor, Haman, demanded that everyone bow down to him, because Jews do not bow to anyone but God. Mordechai refused to bow down to Haman. Upon learning that Mordechai was Jewish, Haman decided to kill all the Jews in the Persian Empire. He plotted to kill them, convincing King Ahasuerus to go along with the plan and cast Purim, lots, plural of poor, a kind of lottery, to determine the day on which he would carry out his evil deed. He landed on the 13th of Adar. When Mordechai became aware of the decree, he took to the streets in mourning clothes and all the Jews in Persia fasted. Yeah, everybody, they heard the decree. Moses, uh, Mordechai went out and he cried out and he gathered the Jews and he tore his clothing and everybody started to ask, what's going on? What happened? Continue. Mordechai asked Esther to intercede with the king and get him to overturn the decree. Despite the risks this entailed, despite the risks this entailed, Esther turned to the king and asked for a feast with him and Haman. At the end of the feast, Haman saw Mordechai refused to bow down again. And on the advice of his wife, Zeresh, he erected huge gallows upon which to hang Mordechai. That night, the king couldn't sleep. He asked his servants to read to him from royal chronicles, and they chanced upon the story about Mordechai saving the king. The king asked Haman how to honor a man whom the king wished to honor, and Haman who thought the king was talking about him, exaggerated in gestures of honor, royal clothes, the royal horse, and a procession through the city. Ahasuerus asked Haman to prepare all these honors for Mordechai the Jew. Continue. Let's just finish the story. Me continue? Yeah, yeah. Esther so. held the second feast, in which she revealed her Jewish identity to the king, convincing him to save the Jews and foiling Haman's plot. The Jews, are, the Jews were allowed to fight back. Haman was hanged. Mordechai received his estates at the position of Vesari to the king, and the Jews of Persia celebrated their salvation on the 14th of the dark, 
the day after they were supposed to be annihilated with feasts, gifts of food, and charity for the poor. Yeah, that's the story. Well, Go ahead. What, what uh, religion did the king and Persian had? They were idol. They were pagans. Yes. In general, before the story of Haman, the Jewish people enjoyed in Persia freedom. Freedom of religion, freedom of life, they were doing well. Mordechai was a, was a minister by the king in the king's palace. The queen was Jewish, what do you need more than that? I mean, the Jews were accepted. They were like a part of everybody. And then in the place where the king, where the Jews felt so comfortable, that's where it happened. The same thing in Germany, if you think about it, 1920s, the Jews were, the best place for a Jew, for a Jew to live in Berlin was life was great. If the Jews were accepted, how, why did Mordechai tell Esther to hide the fact that she was Jewish? Like, did he know that this was going to no, happen? No, he did like not know. He had, he had an urge to, to, to do it. He, he didn't have a logical explanation. Okay. So I just hide it. You can explain that it would be easier for her to be observant if nobody knows that she's Jewish. Because she said she's vegetarian. And therefore she did not have to eat not kosher food. At that time we didn't have the word vegan, but it was the same <laughs> idea. She, and basically that's how she kept kosher. How she kept Shabbat, she used to have seven uh, servants and every day was another maid servant. Then she knew of any Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Because she out, that's the way she kept Shabbat. On the seventh day, she didn't, she didn't walk. She didn't do anything. I mean, she, didn't, she was a queen anyway. It wasn't too hard, but just in a, such a non-Jewish environment, to be Jewish was very hard. And he told her, if you don't say that you're Jewish, it'll be easier for you. <coughs> Could be that's explanation. But <coughs> it's written that in the Megillah, it's written, Mordechai told her, do not say that you're Jewish. It's repeated twice at least, if not three times. And, 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 she, and she did it because Mordechai told her. That's, that's the reason why she did it. So they didn't know who was Jewish and who was not Jewish? How, the, how the is it that they didn't know she's Jewish? That's a question. Right. She was in Mordechai's house. What do you mean she's not Jewish? Obviously, she didn't look too Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, not only this, she was adopted by Mordechai. Then she told, she told the king, yeah, I was adopted. But who I am, I don't know. Mordechai adopted me, but I don't know who was my origin. And the king drove the king crazy because the king needs to know he, he, used, to, he used to marry royalty. Then he says they found somebody, they found somebody on the street and, they, and, and nobody knows who she is. Therefore, when she finally said I'm Jewish, it, it was like answering a question of a million dollar question. I mean, like it was, but yeah, he, she, she told him, yeah, I was raised by Mordechai. I was raised Jewish, but I'm not Jewish. I was not, I don't know, I don't know who I am. I don't know, my parents died before I, her, her father died when, she, when her mother was pregnant with her. Her mother died when she gave, her, gave birth to her. Then that's it. She, don't know, she doesn't that, have a father and a mother. I think she was actually married to Mordecai and how they keep that. That's up. not written in the Megillah, that's what the, the, the Talmud says. It doesn't make a difference. The bottom line is, he asked her, who are you? I don't know who I am. Who my parents are? She doesn't know. That's the point. And that's what she, she did. She couldn't say, she was in the Jewish knowledge. She was Mordechai Saad. What do you mean you're not Jewish? Sure, everybody knows. There's no secrets. You're right. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I had the same question myself many years ago until I figured it out. So far, we know the story of the Megillah. Okay, we'll put on to page six. Please. One of the stories in the Megillah seems difficult to understand. 
Mordecai told Hatash, Esther's servant, everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Shushan, to show to Esther and explain it to her. Mordecai told Hatash to command Esther to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. What is going on is like this. When Mordecai heard about the news that the, 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 the decree came out, he went out to the street and he made a demonstration, a Jewish demonstration. What's a Jewish demonstration? Prayers. They took, they, he tore his clothing and people came to over to him. Most of the people did not hear about the news. What's going on, Mordechai? Why are you getting so upset? He said, oh, there is a decree that we, I hear from now, every non-Jewish neighbor can get up and kill his Jewish neighbor and take, and take his possession. That was a very big motivation there. I mean, you can get the house, why not? And you know, when, when one person is doing it, the second person is doing it, and then your wife tells you, you're the only loser, I'm not going to take, to take the money and to take from the other house. What is this? Go, do something. Then Mordechai came out, <coughs> and Esther heard that Mordechai is making, Esther was a queen in the in palace. She heard, she got the news that Mordechai is on the street making noise and crying, and she sent her right-hand man to Mordechai, Atach was his name, to find out what's going on. And Mordechai told her the story that Amen promised 10,000 silver coins, shekels, to give to the king's treasury for the permission to kill the Jews. And he gave her the decree, the paper, the law that came out to show it to her to see what's going on. And he told her, I tell, her, tell her Esther, she should go to the king and beg him to change the decree. Continue. Hatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Esther instructed Hatak to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. This queen that everybody thinks she's in best relationship with the king and she has power, she said she was not called for 30 days. And the law by this king was that if you, don't, if you show up without, without being called, summoned, you'll be killed. You are at shorter. I mean, there's no, in these places, there was no messing around. And he proved that he was right. He proved that he can do such things. That's what he did to Vashti. Vashti was not fired and went to another city and retired in Florida. <laughs> Vashti was killed. She didn't want to do what the king said. She was killed. Now it's Esther. And Esther says, yeah, I would love to go. But if I go to him without him calling me, summoning me, summon me I, I, I'm risking, risking my life. Then why should, then I don't think I'm going to do anything good. That's what she's saying. Okay, continue. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you're alone of all the Jews. You, you alone of all, of, of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, the relief and deliverance of the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps it was such a time that you came to your royal position. Let's analyze what Mordechai told them. Don't think that you will be able to escape the destiny of the Jewish people. No matter if you will be silent in this moment, 
salvation will be to the Jew, will come to the Jews from another place. If God plans to save the Jews, God, God will save the Jewish people one way or another. And you will be lost. You will be die. You'll die with your family, with your father's house. That's, he tells her in the beginning. Then he tells her, the ultimate argument was, and who knows, perhaps, it was for such a time that you came to your royal position. What he really says here, you know, Mordechai was wondering why Esther was taken to the king's house. You need to understand that wasn't a, um, what it's called? Spade. Yeah, what I meant to say is the way the, the, the girls were chosen, it wasn't like a, a girls, uh, a parade, a competition that every girl wanted to be a part of it. More, Esther did not want to go to the king. They had agents in every city. They were looking for beautiful girls. And, they, and, and that's how they, Esther was taken to the king. It's written in the, in the Megillah, it's written, she was taken. And Mordechai was sitting home and thinking to himself, for seven years, this is, this is a long story. This whole story of the Megillah took 10 years, almost 10 years. We read it in an half hour, in half hour but it took 10 years. Then seven years he's thinking to himself, why? Why God is the, is, took my, my niece, and according to the Talmud, my wa his wife, to be taken? Can you hold those days? I'm dying. <laughs> I'm sorry. Then, uh, why is he taking, is it, is, is it, it, it took my, my uh, the, uh, Esther to become, why should a Jewish girl end up to be a, que a queen to, to this king who was, was not Jewish, that's the bottom line. And not only not Jewish, he was drunk and this and this and this. And he killed this queen before, I mean. And he says, maybe, maybe, yeah, issues. maybe this is the reason why you, you, for this moment, you were there for this moment. Now, now we need you. That's what he tells them. Then the Rebbe is analyzing this story. Give me a, you have a pen? Give me the pen. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You want to go? Go ahead. No, it's not. Okay. The, the, the title is the wrong title. Go, continue. Okay. Uh, Mordecai was trying to convince Esther to approach the king and ask him to abolish the decree against the Jewish people. Esther told Mordecai that she is severely doubtful about her chances of achieving this, that she can do this, because the king can only be approached on invitation, and she had not been called to see him for 30 days already. Mordecai replied that, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, because as guaranteed, the Jewish people will endure eternally, but you and your father's family will perish. If this wasn't enough, Mordecai concludes with an additional argument, who knows, perhaps it was for such a time that you came to your royal position. The argument that perhaps it was for such a time that you came to your royal position seemed insignificant compared to the argument that you and your family, your father's family will perish and compared to the general need to obey Mordecai's instructions. And Mordecai was the head of the Sanhedrin and the Torah issues stern warnings about warnings regarding obeying the Sanhedrin. This is all the more true in this case where the instruction is concerning saving the entire Jewish people. Esther was a righteous woman how then can it be that the argument that the Jewish people must be saved wasn't enough to convince her to speak to Asha Barash? 
The argument that you and your family, father family will perish also wasn't enough, and the winning argument was, who knows, perhaps it was for such a time that you came to your world. You understand, the question is like this. There is like three arguments. Number one, we need to save the Jewish people. Number two, you're going to die if you don't do this. Number three, who knows, maybe that's the reason why you're there. I would say the opposite. I'd say, first of all, maybe you're there for this reason. If she doesn't listen, she says, you know what, you have to save the Jewish people. Number three, you'll die. It's a strange, a strange order of, of logic. If saving the Jewish people doesn't convince her to do it. Saving the, the, the it's, you will die in your family doesn't convince her. What to convince her? You know, maybe that's the reason why you, why you were there, why you, why you in, in, as a queen. What is more, what the Rebbe is trying to find out, what is more in the argument than this, that maybe this is the, your destiny, that's what you are bashered for, is more powerful than saving the Jewish people? Is more powerful than saving your own life? Why this comes in the end? Why this argument will convince her when other arguments will not convince her? Open the window a little more. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, well, actually, first question yeah. was, but you and your father's family will perish. Her father was already dead. She was adopted. Father's family. Right. Doesn't mean when, you, when she will perish, her father's family will perish. She's the continuation. Okay. So her and so the future. Yes. Okay. And it also could be maybe Mordechai himself, or was your uncle. Could okay. be that's what he meant. No, no, father's, fa father's family means is ill family. He says the Jewish people will survive, but your family will die. It could be even mean that Mordechai himself will not survive. Because if he don't do what he's supposed to do, don't think you will survive and everybody else doesn't survive. Everybody else, the Jewish people is always survive because the Jewish people are forever. But you, you think you're going to escape the destiny? It's not going to happen. Go ahead. Maybe she didn't see herself as a leader in that way. She had to be convinced she was. We'll talk about that. Yeah, there is something there. What do you want to say? Um, I'm not sure if I can word this. Um, but try, it seems try. like the, that last phrase, to me, I keep hearing the same, do it because it's the, like, for the greater good. For the great, yeah, it's not, it's not for you. Yeah, it's it's God's not, will. it's like, it's, it, you do it because God's, a, like, it's just going to happen. God's willing it. Like, God, you don't question it. You just. I think destiny, like, that's, the, that's the key. I think yeah. if you have a destiny, that you have a higher chance of convincing the king. Oh, I mean, like you, there, like, that's where it's going. Like, you go to the story with um, going into the Red Sea. Don't question God. Don't ask him for help. He's, just do it. Like, just because this is what you're supposed no, to but do. She no, but she felt, she felt that she will not be, you're right, you're right. You will not be successful in the mission. That's what she was worried. She said, even I'll go, I'll be killed, and I will accomplish nothing. That's what she was worried. Then what you guys have in your mind, that's exactly where the whole discussion is going. Yes. Go ahead. Welcome back to our class. <laughs> really? Life with a purpose, the Rebbe. We must first explore the reason for the soul's descent into a body. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Way we're here. <laughs> the soul's descent into a body is a precipitous fall from great heights to a deep pit. The Tanya explains that even for a person that is completely righteous and worships God with passionate love and reverence, this is a precipitous fall because before its descent, the soul is 
That soul was united with God, and now it is perceived as a separate, albeit righteous, entity. This is all the more true about the majority of Jews who are completely righteous. The Talmud says that the righteous are few in number, so for most Jews, the descent of the soul is even greater. This begs the question, what is the purpose of the soul's descent? You see, why we are here? That's a question that many people, especially young people, ask themselves. Hmm. Why we are here? The, every Jew has a soul. Now, the soul, the soul of the Jewish person is under, is very close to God. Let's put it this way. As a soul, the soul enjoys much more to be in heaven. Because it's closer, it's a world of pure, a pure world. Nobody is lying in heaven. Nobody is stealing. Nobody is doing any bad thing. Life is great. Going down to this world, it's a world of challenges. The Talmud says it's better for a person, it's more comfortable for a person not to be born than to be born. That's why a baby, when a baby is born, he's crying because he doesn't want to live. To live the heavens, so to speak. The, to go down to this cold, evil world, he doesn't want to do it. Then the question is, what are we gaining from it? What, why God puts us through this hell that's called world? Everybody's born, and eventually everybody dies. And then he runs around for 70, 80, 90 years, and he's hacking and knocking and hurting and this and fighting. And for what, for heaven's sake? What are we gaining from it? That's a question. I see everybody gives it this question. <laughs> okay. Rabbi Yosef asked Rabbi Yosef, the son of the rabbi, which mitzvah was your father's most particular about? And he answered the mitzvah of There is a very interesting thing in the Talmud. They used to ask a rabbi, what is, you, what is your special mitzvah? Everybody had his special mitzvah. What does this mean? It does mean that he, didn't, he did only one mitzvah. <laughs> That's nice. What you, you want, you're talking about even people who did every mitzvah. They had one mitzvah, that, that was their mitzvah. They were so careful about it and so excited about it and invested money and time and efforts in this mitzvah more than any other mitzvah. Did he ask Rabbi Yosef, he says, what was your father, Rabbi, was one of the Talmudic scholars, what was, he, what, what was, he, what was his mitzvah? He says, his mitzvah was tzitzit. The mitzvah of tzitzit, to be a, a tzitzit every day and to be careful with this and to be, should be kosher 100%. That means everyone who comes to the world has his mitzvah. As his mission, as his purpose. Continue. In Igret HaKodesh, the author Rabbi explains the meaning of Talmudic teaching that every person has a certain mitzvah to excel at. He explains that it isn't something that can be grasped intellectually because it is from the level of beyond intellect. This is God's decision. Is explainable choice, meaning that God decided that one should descend to, to this world for the purpose of observing one specific mitzvah. Another soul should descend for the purpose of observing a different mitzvah. Clearly, every Jew must observe all the 613 commandments. But okay, one will stop a minute for you. If there is a mitzvah. Every Jew has a special mitzvah. That's the way God did it. Why? Nobody knows. It's beyond logic. The whole idea of God is beyond logic. I mean, when there are certain things in your life, why you're here and what's, 
What is your specific purpose? Everyone has a specific purpose. Why this is on me and other myths is on you? Only God knows. But God gives every person his mission in life. And for this mission, he came down to the world. And therefore, the question why is not in the right place. Because we don't know. Okay, you can ask me why 10 times. I don't know. Nobody knows. God, God is, it's beyond explanation. Beyond explanation means it doesn't mean that God has an explanation. There are places, there, there is points that are beyond explanation. As I mentioned a few times, you love your children or not because there is no reason why you love your children. It's beyond logic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Then, then the because, because, and it's, that means there are things in life that are beyond, that are beyond explanation. There, you, don't, you don't understand why. Continue. Clearly. Yeah, clearly, every Jew must observe all of the 613 commandments. But every person has a specific commandment that they should excel in. The identity of which is determined by divine choice that is completely beyond reason. The entire descent of individual soul is that emit this mitzvah, which may even be a one-time action over the course of a life of 70 or 80 years. That means to say a person lives 70, 80 years, as you're going to learn in a second, for doing one specific mitzvah to one, one time. Meanwhile, is running around here and is doing a million, a million good things. But the real mitzvah is, one, the real thing why he came here is for one good thing. The little problem is, we don't know which one. Small technical problem. <laughs> That's the problem. What if it's also so early in your life? So, what if it's when you are eight or nine? Mm-hmm. You're eight or nine. <laughs> I don't think the no. movie has a time limit on it. It could be a repetition of the same mitzvah. Don't even know could that. be. Could be one. Could be two. Could be. We don't know that. That's a problem. You see, sometimes people do something extraordinary, and I think to myself, based on this, this was his mitzvah of his life. That was, he, did, he did it. The rest of it doesn't make a difference. Hmm. He, ma- he made a statement. He brought the glory of God to the world. And now he can go retire in Florida on vacation and finish. He's done. So this is the argument that is for Esther. She was... Oh, that's where you're going. Exactly. For the one. Okay, you want to continue? Yeah. In top of the page. Of yeah. The, the soul may um, descend the world for 70, 80 years simply in order to do a favor. Materially or spiritually, <coughs> a specific Jew in a specific place, in a specific area of life. You hear? A person, he told it to one of his greatest disciples, the Baal Shem Tov was the founder of the Hasidic movement, told one of his greatest disciples, then a person comes to the world for 70, 80 years to do one favor to one person. <coughs> you hear? And, you, and, we, and we go, we run around, and then comes to this mitzvah, you are too tired. So what happens if you don't do it? You have a mission in life and don't. Oh, yeah, 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 Or what if you did it, but you don't know you did it? That's okay. You don't. for what? That's nothing wrong with doing more mitzvahs. But, but. It's not anything big. Maybe it's just that you are here 
here, and, and maybe it's something as simple as you provide a companionship to somebody, or you know, maybe it, we're looking for something big that we're supposed to do. It doesn't have to be big. It works. Maybe it's just not that. But the problem is, the problem is, even if it's not big, <coughs> I, start, I, I might miss it. That's a problem. You're right, it's not a big thing. Somebody asked you for a favor. You did 10 favors today. <laughs> And the 11 nudnik showed up. He said, I'm too tired. I can't do it anymore. But if, but if I can't take it! <laughs> but if the soul and this is the guy. <laughs> but if the soul descended into you, you're not going to miss it. Why? You're put here for the reason. You're not going to miss it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe yes, maybe not. We have free choice. Ultimately, we have free choice. If we, if we know what we're choosing. Sometimes you know you're choosing. You don't want to do it. I'm finished. Oh, your wife tells you, let's do this. Oh, I don't want to doesn't have to be something, but this is... That's not really a thing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Never happens. Well, if no, she tells you, you do it. Said, right. It's <laughs> 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 a lie. You just can't say, well, no, I'm not going to do this it. This is said, <laughs> continue. <laughs> this is said even about the uh, righteous Jews who study Torah and observe mitzvot for 80, 70 years, uh, 70 to 80 years. Nevertheless, the main reason why this his soul entered this world is for one or two actions, while all other mitzvot he observes over the course of his life are just secondary byproducts of the fact that he is alive and therefore obligated to observe all the mitzvot. Because this soul came into the world solely for the action, it is um, this mitzvah that raises the uh, to the higher level and everything else is accomplished in the world. That means to say for this person, this mitzvah is everything. And that is all. And therefore, uh, everything also be corrected is all purpose in the world to be fulfilled when he fulfilled when he will do the mitzvah. Can I close that window? Is anyone else cold? <laughs> Go ahead, Are close it. Still hot? Oh, no, no, <laughs> okay. <laughs> fate, a fate dilemma. Go ahead. A fate dilemma. Esther responded to Mordechai. Gather all the Jews of Shushan and fast for my sake. Don't eat or drink for three nights and days. My servants and I will take fast likewise. Thus I will come to the king in violation of the law, and if I am lost, I am lost. Mordechai followed all the Esther instructions. What Esther told him? I mean, Mordechai told her, who knows, maybe this is your, 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 your destiny. She told him, okay, gather all the Jews in Shushan. That was the capital city of Persia. And let them not eat and not drink for three continuing consecutive days. For three days, not to eat. Not to break the day, the fast every day. For three days and three nights, not to eat. And I will go to the king. And here is the important line. And if I'm lost, I'm lost. If I'm lost, if I lose, I lose. And he did it. That the Talmud says, what does this mean? I came, I will come to the king by the violation of the law. Which violation of the law she's referring to? Not just the violation of the law of the king Ahasuerus, who told her nobody can come if he's not being summoned, but the violation of the law of God. What's the violation of law of God? Here comes the secret. Go ahead, continue. Violation of the law, Rabbi Abba said every day until now was under duress. This, this, 
time it was willingly. Ay, 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 She was a Jewish girl, right? She cannot be married to this king, especially if she was a married woman, for sure she cannot be married to this king. But until now, she was basically raped against her will. She had no choice. He called her, he took her, he did nothing. He, she, she, did. she never initiated anything. Even if you read in the Megillah, you see that every other uh, girl went to meet the king. She has to ask to be beautified and to give her, the, she'll give her all the kind of uh, um, makeup and all other stuff. She never asked for anything because she didn't want to find favor in the king's eye. She says, until now, he called me, he summoned me, he took me. Then I, I had no choice. This is I'm going willingly, I'm submitting myself willingly to the king. Now I'm going, I'm doing something against God. Not just something against the king Achashverosh. And if I do something against God, how, how it's going to go to be successful? That's what she was wondering. Continue. <coughs> Okay, what he says is like this. Logically, it was against the Torah. Not, not just we did not have a, she did not have a chance to win this, to, to win the to save the Jewish people because she was not summoned, she will be killed. It's also against God. It's against God. It's a, it doesn't make sense logically. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. And if Mordechai himself says that the Jewish people will be saved anyway, then what is he so upset if, Mod if Esther will not do it? If he says that the Jewish people will be saved no matter what, right? Then if not Esther, somebody else will do it. That's himself he says it, right? But he told her there is something here bigger than logic. You're right, the Jewish people will survive without you. But it's your destiny, it's your mitzvah. You came to the world for seven years. I was wondering why you, are, you became the queen. Why such a ridiculous um, a, a turn of events? Then, they, then the, king, the king should kill his queen. And then he will look for a queen. And from the whole country of Persia, 
the Jewish people were a very small percentage, very small percentage. He should find the Jewish girl and he should, he should choose from all other the girls he should choose here. Must be that this is your mitzvah. And then now he tells them it's not about logic. Why? God wants you to do it. God can save the Jewish people in many other ways, but he wants you to do it. And therefore, if you will, if you will, uh, if you will miss the opportunity, you're missing the opportunity. Now he talks to you about, he talks to you on a different level. It's not about logic. Logically, you might be right. It's not going to be successful. Logically, you might be right. It's against God. What I'm talking to you about, your destiny. This is it. Why God wants you to do it, I don't know. But, God, but the way it worked out, it's clear that God wants you to do this mitzvah, to save the Jewish people. Then don't miss it. That's what he's really telling you. Yes. Just, just a bunch of concubines. <laughs> I'm sure he had many. That was not a problem. <laughs> but she was the queen. That's, if you think about it, it's a strange, it's a tr strange thing. It's like from everybody in the world that's to find the Jewish girl. What is this? And she tried everything, Esther, not to find favor in his eyes. Because she didn't want to be the queen. But she couldn't tell him, I don't want to be the queen. Fasting when what was done before that, when she was supposed to go into the, to the king's court, she used to fast so she wouldn't look Happy and happy. That's that's this time, only this time. This time only. Yeah. And by the way, when she went to the king, the, the story is that she 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 also fasted for three days together. Now if you're going to the to the king to find favor in his eyes, yeah. how are you going to look after three days of fasting? Hmm. <laughs> then then uh, obviously she understood too that this is a matter of destiny. It has nothing to do with reality. How beautiful she's going to look. God wants her to do it. That means to say, God will save the Jewish people. There is many messengers for God. But God wants me to do it. Why me? I don't know. Nobody knows. But that's my mitzvah. Go ahead. You know what? You continue. When Esther heard from the head of the Sanhedrin that there was a super rational matter, she was convinced and agreed to approach the king in violation of the law. She even disregarded the logical argument that it may be against God's law as well because she had received an instruction from the head of the Sanhedrin. The Torah instructs us not to stray from the Sanhedrin's instructions, either right or left, and this means that we must obey, even if they tell us that right is left and left is right. The head of the Sanhedrin, Mordechai, was a righteous man. What is a Rebbe? What is a Tzaddik? He, why we go to a Tzaddik? The, Torah is lo the laws in the Torah are written in the book. What I need a Tzaddik? Or the tzaddik, the righteous man, the rabbi will tell me what is my purpose. There is so many good things I can do. I can run around the whole day and help elderly people cross the street. I mean, I can do many mitzvahs. I can save animals. I can do there's so many things to do. What is my mitzvah? Now, the tzaddik of a generation, the rabbi of a generation, tells a generation what is their mitzvah, what is their purpose. He tells a specific person, you go and do this. But why me? And you're arguing with me. I don't know why. I'm just telling you what a tzaddik, a rabbi, a spiritual therapy, is in tuned to godliness. Then when he's in tuned, you don't ask him why. Because the eye, it doesn't have an explanation. It just feels that this is for you the right thing to do. Don't go there or do this. If you're arguing, you're just running, running it for yourself, not for him. I have it, I have it with my own family. My father once was in America when my mother gave birth to one of my brothers. And I, it was on the month of the holidays, Simchas Torah. 
They called him to America, my dear friend, you have to come back to Israel for the breeze. <laughs> okay, he got a private, he made this ticket a little earlier, before Shabbat Bereshit. Shabbat Bereshit is the Shabbos that starts the whole year. The first Shabbat of the year, it's a very important Shabbat by the Rebbe. Was and he wrote to the Rebbe in the note that he's going to Israel because he had a baby boy and the breeze is going to be this, therefore he had to be there. The Rebbe reads the note, asks him, why are you going? In the note, that he repeated the same thing. Okay. He gave him a blessing. He went to Israel. Came to Israel. The boy was jaundiced. The breeze was delayed. <laughs> he didn't have a reason to go. He, he, he told the Rebbe he's going because the breeze is in eight days and he must be there for the breeze. If you're going for the breeze, the breeze will. Then there is, I mean, there is millions of stories. I mean, we mentioned the story in Shabbat and all, many more and more and more. The point is the Tzaddik, Mordechai, was the Rebbe of the generation. He tells Esther, listen to me. This is your mitzvah. And if you, if you miss it, you miss your destiny. You miss your purpose in the world. Okay, continue. We are all Esther, the rabbi who became a wagon driver. That's an amazing story. There is a lesson we can all learn from this regarding our divine service. There is a well-known story related by the friar however you say that. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. Rebbe. I don't like Rebbe. Rebbe. I don't understand that. Give me the pen. About one of the great... Yeah. About one of the great Hasidim of the Altar Rebbe. This man was a great scholar and Torah study and divine service for his whole life. However, the Altar Rebbe instructed him to turn his whole life around and become a wagon driver. After many years working as a wagon driver, a chain of events led to a transgressor repenting through his influence. <coughs> oh, here we're going to have the whole story. Don't do it. Rabbi Yosef lived in Beshenkovich. He was no ordinary man. He knew the Talmud virtually by heart and earned the greatest respect from the scholars of his town. On a visit to the Alta Rebbe in 1804, he was advised, amongst other things, for the benefit of your soul, it is better for you to be a wagon driver than a rabbi. You hear A great scholar goes on to the, the first Chabad Rebbe and he tells them, looks at him, he tells them for the benefit of, for your own soul, for your own good. Better you should be a wagon driver. You can imagine a guy with a scholar, <laughs> they never touched anything physical. To become a wagon driver. Well, go ahead, continue. Years passed by. In 1814, Reb Yosef was offered the rabbinate, rabbinate, rabbinate in the town of Lipo. Reb Yosef until that moment, he was not an official rabbi. He was a great scholar. He was not a rabbi. Then how they offered him a job to become a rabbi. Reb Yosef recalled Reb Shnur Zalman's words some 10 years earlier. It is better for you to be a wagon driver than a rabbi. He realized that now was the time to fulfill the Rebbe's advice. You see, before he was just a scholar. He said to himself, I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a wagon driver. Hmm. I, di I didn't ask him to be a rabbi. Here he says, they offered me to be a rabbi. Ah, now is the time to do what the rabbi wanted. He refused the offer. He didn't took the, he took into the job as a rabbi. Okay, but? But how could he become, of all things, a wagon driver now at the age of 70? Eventually, he mustered up enough courage and went to the local wagon station. Yes, uh -huh. rabbi asked the drivers, where would you like to travel? I have not come to travel, but to learn to become a wagon driver. It was a, it was a little more complicated. He, went, he, he started to get depressed about it that he has to become a wagon driver, and he was crying and this and this. And finally, he just got remarried, and he had a young wife and a baby, I think, and he didn't know what to do. And one day his wife asked him, what's the problem? Why are you so upset? He told her the story. She told him, if the heavy told you to do it, you better do it. 
I will sell my jewelry and you'll buy an awesome buggy and you're going to do it. What's the question even? He was shocked that his wife, that he thought, he thought she would be so upset, she was actually the one who encouraged them. He goes, he goes to, the, um, to the station where all the wagon drivers are standing. <coughs> you can imagine shows up this important rabbi, <laughs> told him, Rabbi, where do you want to go? Where do you need to go? Go ahead. This is when he's seven. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. He's starting his life at any age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, where are we in the story? Y yes, Did Rabbi. Years? Yes, Rabbi. Yes, Tab Rabbi. Ask the drivers, where would you like to travel? I have not come to travel, but to learn to become a wagon driver, he answered softly. The wagon drivers could not believe their ears. That night, Rab Yosef came home dirty and bruised. He found his wife in tears. She had heard of her husband's visit. Oh, that's how it was a story. <laughs> mm -hmm. Reb Yosef explained the Rebbe's instructions. She told him, if the Rebbe told you this, you mustn't delay even a day. Tomorrow I will sell my jewelry and you will be able to buy it. See, what's going on is like this. You can imagine he went to learn how to be a wagon driver was beaten by the owls and it was the, everything he told it was the wrong thing. It was caught, it was scratched. It came dairy home. I mean, it was not for him. Continue. A year passed and Reb Yosef became used to his new lifestyle. One evening he stopped over at a Jewish inn. The director introduced him to Solomon Gamitsky, a friend and employee of the music count. Gamitsky <laughs> agreed to travel with Reb Yosef. Reb Yosef said, tomorrow morning, God willing, we will make our way. What time, asked the visitor. After praying, was Reb Yosef's reply. At what time, retorted Gamitsky. To me, it makes no difference whether you pray or not. I need to know when we will travel, to know when to wake up, wash, and eat. And pray, concluded Reb Yosef. That I leave for you. This Gamitsky was a Jew, was a Jew. But he was not religious at all. He was actually, he went away from religion. Then he, it, but he needs a wagon driver. This rabbi is a wagon driver. He says, can I drive it? Yeah. He says, well, no, finish the double. Says, mm -hmm. why, 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 I don't care what you, says, and what's what, he says, I, that's for you. Oh, it's not my business. Um, then Gamitsky realized, realized Reb Yosef would not leave until 10 a.m. He ordered another coach for 5 a.m. Gamitsky went to sleep <laughs> for the night. Shortly after midnight, he awoke bewildered. Someone was crying. He opened his door and saw Reb Yosef sitting on his floor, reading by candlelight and crying. He was reciting the special midnight prayers. There is a, there is a prayer, a midnight prayer, it's called Tikkun Chatzot. That people sit down on the floor at midnight and cry for the mo mourn for the destruction of the temple. Every night? Yeah. Even Friday night? No, not Friday night, or not on Shabbat, during the week. Then, then some, it's very, only for righteous people. I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't do it every day, don't worry. Not even once a week. But, uh, but, uh, but there is people who do it. He was one of these righteous people. He sat on the floor and he cried for the destruction. Basically, what means the destruction of the temple? He cries for exile, that the Jews are in exile. What is exile? Exile is not just that we are exiled to Russia or to America and we lost the temple. It's a symptom of the situation of the Jewish people, that we are further away from God. We, are not, we, don't, we don't enjoy this close relationship with God that we used to have in the time of the temple. In the time of the temple, used to be miracles in the temple. When a person came to the temple, he didn't have to believe in God. He saw God. The fire of the altar used to be burning. It was outside. And even if it would be raining and snowing in Jerusalem, the fire would never be put out. Then a person walked into the temple, and God was tangible. 
It's so miracles. Now we don't have this level of relationship with God. We don't have this awareness, this confident of the, of the existence of God as we used to have in the time of the temple. Then he moans the we used to have a relationship, like a couple used to have a good relationship, and then they go apart and they, they don't connect anymore and they don't have anything with each other. That's what Jesus was mourning. And he, he was only for four years, I don't know how long he was not, he was away from his family and everything, and suddenly this shocked them, this thing. Continue. Um, uh, when the night, no, Web Yosef's crying went deep into his heart. He began recalling his youth, his father, his teacher, his, the wife and children that he had left when he abandoned his religion. His entire past flashed before his eyes. What happened is his entire past came back. He ran away from religion, he had a family, and he one day decided he was tired of it. He left his family and disappeared. And suddenly everything came back. Continue, you want to continue? When the night came to its end, Solomon watched Rabbi Yosef pray with great devotion. He started to cry. At five, the innkeeper came to Solomon and told him that his coach was ready, but Solomon had decided to travel with Rabbi Yosef. Hours went by. Rabbi Yosef was still praying. Solomon, overcome with anguish, went to the innkeeper, bar borrowed his talisman to fill in, and prayed too. He knew, he knew how to pray. He did it many years ago. And suddenly it all came back. He couldn't, he couldn't hold it. He said, give me uh, your talisman, your fill, and I want to pray. Continue. Out of his deep remorse, Solomon became sick. For several days, he hovered between life and death. The count sent his own doctor, but the doctor gave up hope. Rabbi Yosef remained at Solomon's bedside, guiding him and helping him in his decision to return to his family in Judaism. Eventually, Solomon was strong enough to leave the inn, and Rabbi Yosef went home. Rabbi Yosef planned a visit to the Rebbe, Reb Dov Bear, who had succeeded his father, Reb Schnur Zalman, after his passing. He traveled together with other Hasidim to the city of Lubavitch. He came, he basically, what happened is, he, he, this guy became back to Judaism, and Rabbi Yosef, for some, decided to go to visit the son of the Alter Rebbe, who was that time the Rebbe. He came, he came to Lubavitch, a city about Chabad, today we call it Chabad Hasidim, Luba, Luba, the Lubavitch Rebbe, Lubavitch Hasidim, it's a part, it's two names to the same movement. And he came to visit the Rebbe one day. One day while in Lubavitch, Rabbi Yosef was greatly surprised to meet Solomon. Solomon had resigned from his job with, with the count and now had now come to Lubavitch to study and be near Rabbi Dov Bear. Rabbi Dov Bear had an interesting announcement for Rabbi Yosef. I'm appointing you as rabbi of the synagogue on Market Street. You no longer need to be a wagon driver. My father appeared to me last night and told me that Yosef of Gashinikovich has fulfilled his purpose. When he told them many years ago to be a, to be a wagon driver, I didn't tell them why. Tell him this is your purpose. Nobody know why. Could be even the Alter Rebbe did not know why. But now after he found this Jew, and because of his prayers and his crying, this Jew woke up and went back to his roots and went back to his family. That's, he said, his son told him, my father came to me at night and told me, you fulfilled your mission. You don't have to be anymore a wagon driver. Now, that's the story. It's really an amazing story. I grew up with the story. It's really an unbelievable story. The question can be asked. Go ahead. The events leading this person to repent could have been orchestrated by God through other means. It didn't necessarily have to be through this scholar-turned-wagon driver. To use the words of the Megillah, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. It means to say, what do you need to drive this guy crazy for 20 or 10 years to be a wagon driver? Because well, God can do it in many ways. There is many agents. 
Find another guy who meet him in the city. There is enough Chabad rabbis all over the world to find them somewhere, stick them in the film and bring them back to Judaism. What do you need? Why to torture him for so many years? Go ahead. Why then was it necessary to take a person away from the studies and divine service and transform him into a wagon driver for a few years? Of course, he conducted himself according to Torah law while working as a wagon driver, but he was forced to spend his time dealing with horses, feeding them and cleaning after them, all so that a person would eventually repent under his influence. The same goal could have been achieved by someone else as well. The answer is that this act of helping a Jew repent was the main purpose behind the descent of the soul into this world. It means to say like this, we don't know why Yosef of Beshekovitz had to do this. You're right, somebody else could do it. Why to take him, to schlep him, to become a wagon driver for 10 years? He could in this time learn so much Torah and do so many good things. That's above logic. It was his mission to bring this Jew back to Judaism. Why? Nobody knows. And that's how we look of it. And it's, it's the, why, why, and that's what he told, that's what basically he says to, um, to Esther and what the Mordechai told Esther. Yeah, the Jewish people will be saved. But it's your mission. God will save the Jewish. If you don't choose to do the mission, somebody else will do it. When you look on life this way, it's a whole different approach. Go ahead. Our generation's goal, influencing others. All Jews are told, who knows, perhaps it was for such a time that you came to your royal position. When we are told that we need to save a fellow Jew spiritually, we can think to ourselves, I haven't been invited to approach the king. What can I already achieve? I have no power over this person, and he won't listen to me. I'm just one person. I can't change the world or even just another individual. I should therefore rather sit in my private corner and study and pray without engaging with others. I'll tell you, the Rebbe was, it was, this talk was said in 1962. And the Rebbe kind of started just the whole idea of outreach. And many people looked at him like, what do you want from our lives? Go climb, knock on other people's doors, try to convince them to be more Jewish. They don't want to hear you. They don't need that. Rabbi, thank you very much. I'm good, I'm good. What do you want? I'll better learn Torah. I'll do something good. Nobody needs me. Nobody wants me. What do you want? Basically, the Hasidim told the Rabbi, what do you want from our lives? Go to Australia. Go to England. Go to... Go to the moon. Just go and find yours. That's what the Rebbe is talking about. Continue. In response, we are told, who knows? Perhaps it was for such a time that you came to your royal position. It is possible that this action is the very reason for which our soul descended into this world for its 70 to 80 years of life. The Rebbe says that the generation has a purpose. The genera our generation has a goal. The mission of the generation is to reach out to other Jews to bring him closer to Judaism. This generation is not hungry for food. This generation is hungry for spirituality. And the generation is being assimilated being every day more and more. And every one of us has a mission to bring people closer to Judaism. And maybe we came to the world for 78 years for this mission. That's what the Rebbe is saying. But why me? I didn't think of I can do myself anymore. There's no explanation why you. You're not better than anybody else. This is your mission. Want to continue? We may think that we have already lived for many years during which we put on tefillin every day, study Torah, observe mitzvot, and perform acts of kindness towards our fellow Jews. 
how then we can can be that they all the all of these this should be secondary to single action of doing a favor, materially or spiritually for another Jew. It can be that our entire life is for this purpose. The Megillah teaches us not to dismiss apparently minor actions. This fact, this act may seem extremely minor to us, but we can pass it up. Not because we are concerned which, with our reward in the world to come, but because who knows, perhaps it was for such a time that you came to, uh, to your royal position and any specific act could be the very purpose of your descent into the lowly world. Yeah, that means to say, we came for this purpose. Duplik, you want to finish? Yeah. When we approach all of Torah and Mitzvot with the attitude of every individual <coughs> action could be the reason our soul came down to this world, then every act is excited with, executed with uh, incredible excitement and is infinitely more successful. And you actually see in life that you, some you do, you're doing a little, a little favor to somebody, a little mitzvah, and later you hear years later that it changed his life. And you don't know about it for many years. You, pay, uh, you move on with your life. And you meet somebody 10 years later and he tells you this, what yeah, I started to do this, and that came, that's a chain of, called a chain of reaction. It's all started by, uh, because of what you are influenced and what you did to him, what you inspired him. Then this is not the job from Chabad Hasidim. This is job from every Jew to reach out to other Jews and to be shluchim and to reach out and to bring people closer to Yiddishkeit. Thank you for joining. God bless you and God bless America. Like 2,500 years ago. And then after that, like, by the time.